0: Good morning, good to see you, to be with you today. Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Hebrews where we continue our series working through that book. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 18 this morning. What is it? in your understanding, that determines our future. People have all sorts of answers for that. Anywhere from just your determination, how hard are you going to work for it, to what circumstances that you're, you're born in for privilege or dysfunction. It, it can be... Uh, the education level you have or just who you know, your connections, something, it's just as simple as karma. Whatever you deserve, somehow it's going to work its way out. But since you are in church today, uh, you're probably recognizing, well, the answer for that must be God. And you're correct. The answer of what determines our future and what most shapes our life is God. And yet stopping with that correct answer is not enough. There are uh, many people who would recognize the importance of God and a relationship with him. Of coming to church of being shaped by the Bible and yet are still somewhat unclear about how exactly we come to God what does that look like and that's what the passage before us lays out the author of Hebrews writing to to people who were religious and and had a good understanding of scripture and yet we're not always fully clear on what it truly means to come to god and so the the writer gives two representative scenes as he guides us into a right understanding so let's begin reading Hebrews 12, verse 18, to see what God's word has for us this morning. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings by your grace, you would cause the truth of yourself to be known clearly by every person here. Lord, we, we have come to learn of you, to think rightly about you. So we ask for grace for that. And the wisdom, what does it mean to live out the truth of you? We need your help. So bring it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The first scene, verses 18 to 21, describes coming to God by our own efforts and our strength. Uh, The the visual scene given, what represents that, is the people of God coming to Mount Sinai. It, It was a historical scene prominent in the Old Testament. The verses given to us here so clearly describe what took place at Mount Sinai that uh, the writer doesn't even say it was Mount Sinai. The Jewish believers would have known that immediately. It was when the people after they had been delivered from Egypt, gathered to the location of Mount Sinai, and there God met them and gave the law to them of how they were to live. We see this in Exodus 19. Let's look at the verses and we'll see how uh, it clearly represents what we're being given in Hebrews. On the morning of the third day, the third day of when they had arrived at Mount Sinai, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. We're told earlier in the verses right before that God had previously said no one was even allowed to come up and touch the mountain, man or beast, or they would be put to death. And shortly afterward, the people in experiencing this called out to Moses and said, you go up in here, God. We cannot bear what we're experiencing. We we have to ask, why all the drama? Why did God give all of these manifestations of fear and terror that overwhelmed the people? The answer is because of how we typically think about ourselves and how we think of God. We primarily think that life is what we make of it. And... We bring that perspective in how we relate to God. That how we come to God and relate to him is what we make of it, how we choose what we do. And that our responsibility is somehow we have to earn enough favor with God that he will give what we want that he may answer our prayers, that he'll let us into heaven. And the weight of it all rests on what we can accomplish. And that simply is impossible. And so the, the sensory overload that God presented to his people was To help them see, to some degree, a truth beyond their comprehension. And that is, the glory of God is overwhelming. And the holiness of God is more than we can imagine. It is completely, in its greatness, disconnected from any standard and measure of goodness and holiness that we find in ourselves or in anyone else in this world. Even Moses, who was such a faithful man and had been interacting with God in ways that are beyond our personal experience, even Moses didn't really grasp it. Later on in Exodus, in chapter 33, Moses actually said to the Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord responded, you cannot see my glory and live. It, it wasn't God speaking in some harsh way. Was God was being truthful. My being is so wondrous even the angels cannot bear it in full measure and so for us to think that somehow we're we're just going to be good enough that god says welcome is not understanding God and it's not understanding ourselves and the reality of our sin. Mount Sinai was a warning. The holiness of God is the greatest reality about God. And if you're not convinced, either by my words or by this passage, we are given two glimpses of what takes place around the throne of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And in both places, it describes these magnificent angelic beings covering their faces and crying out, it says, endlessly day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is the defining, the essential aspect of the character of God. And all his other attributes flow out of his holiness. The law that God was about to give his people on how they were to live, it was a law directly from God. So it was good, it was wise in every aspect. And the people, they thought they could handle it. They received the law of God and responded, we will do it. But they couldn't and they didn't. It wasn't even close. Because they're just like us. Sinners who with all of our good intentions and with all of our efforts, as scripture says, we fall short of the glory of God and selfishness and obstinance and ignorance, it's all wrapped up in how we think and in our motivations and our actions. and we come nowhere close to meeting the standard of god which is the only standard that god can give the perfection of his holiness and so at mount sinai in, in these initial verses the scene that that the author is giving to the church to remind us uh, Think of what we know of Scripture, where God has led us. What has he communicated to us? At Mount Sinai, God revealed the realities of both his holiness and of our sin, weakness, and insufficiency. This is explained uh, in the book of Romans as in other places as well, but in Romans chapter three, I want us to look at, at two verses that, that help us to see, well, what was the purpose of the law? What was it that, that God was conveying? So uh, let's read these verses, Romans 3:19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law, what was given on Mount Sinai, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So the the law is given with the expectation that now that rules over us. Why was it given? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When God met the people on Mount Sinai and called them into covenant with him to be his people, to live for him, he, he graciously in their pride and ignorance, thinking that like all the other religions, we're just going to find a way and, and we're going to obey and we're going to please God and he's going to receive us. And he wanted them to see, uh, you're not capable of that. And so he gave them a good law. It was his law so that they might see that given the perfect law of God, we will fail endlessly. That we cannot earn our way to heaven. We we cannot manufacture in us the standards of God. And so as he says, every mouth may be stopped, meaning any defense we have of ourselves, of what our circumstances are, how good we are, how we compare to someone else. the, The scene of every mouth being stopped is actually represents a courtroom scene where the defendant has heard the charges against him. And the case against him is so clear and obvious that he doesn't speak a word in his own defense. His mouth is stopped because his guilt is obvious to all. There is no defense. The law of God was given that we might see Mount Sinai is never how we're going to come to God. By our performing and earning favor and being better than someone else, from being the the best person on our block, the best person in our family, the best person in our house, which if you're thinking it, you're not. None of that meets the standard of God. There is no trifling with God. There is no haphazard. There's no somewhat holiness. There's not partial goodness. None of that can please God. And so we must have another way to him. There has to be another mountain. There has to be another coming to God, which leads us to the second scene beginning in verse 22. Verse 18, uh, he's speaking to people of grace. You have not come to Sinai. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in, in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the significance of Mount Sinai or Mount Zion? Mount Zion was the location of the temple in Jerusalem. And everything about the temple in its design, in the functions of worship, all that took place in the temple was pointing to that God would provide a savior to us. In the temple is where people day by day brought the sacrifices, the blood offerings for their sin that never completely took care of sin because they brought a sacrifice one day and then they were guilty again the next. And generation after generation and century after century, sacrifice was made, and no one was ever made righteous. No one was able to please God by any of it. The temple represented what God would accomplish through his son, the mediator, who died on the cross for us. For Jesus is no one less than the Son of God in flesh, born of a virgin who lived as a man in this world completely without sin, the only one who ever has. And he who Indeed was righteous and innocent. He who indeed had the father's favor then went to the cross for the purpose of sacrificing himself, replacing all the sacrifices of the century. He, the deserving one, would pay the penalty God requires for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took our guilt paid God's price that whoever whoever would trust that that indeed is what he did whoever would confess their sin and call on his forgiveness as the bible says they shall be saved in the only way that God ever saves anyone totally and forever in both scenes Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, God's the same. It's not good cop, bad cop. God's going to be really mean here, and then he'll be nice. It's the same holy, gracious, perfect God. The same God revealing his character and his heart for us. And it was the same people. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, just ordinary people who are sinners, who are helpless and hopeless without God's intervention, specifically without what Christ has done. As verse 24 tells us, Christ is now our mediator. Christ has stepped in between us and the holy God, the Father, and he mediates for us, he offers himself, taking our sin, giving us his righteousness. It is through Christ we come, and it is he who makes the difference between the experiences, how we come to God. The text reminds us, verse 18, You did not come, believer, you did not come to God at at Mount Sinai to earn through law the favor of God. You came at Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the God who gives life and adopts you into his family and makes you a citizen. That is how you came. We cannot stand before God but Jesus, he cannot be rejected. That is the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Before God, we cannot stand. With Jesus, we cannot be rejected. For he is the faithful son who paid in full the debt for our sin. the question we started out with what determines our future what should shape our life god is the answer but christ alone is the how there are lots of people who they have the common grace to recognize there there is a god there must be a god we we must come to him even enough common grace to see that we're sinners and the mess we've made, somehow there's, there's something between us and God that we've got to get past. And so human religion is trying to figure all that out when God has given us the answer, the how is Christ, the impossibility is what we would do. The amazing grace is what God has done. And so we come to God not by any work for by it we saw Romans 3 by the law no one is made just before God. It is the free gift of God through Christ that we come by faith trusting what he has done. If you've never If you've never called on him, he invites you now. He's the living God. In this moment, you can call on him. You can confess your sin. You can ask him to give faith. You can entrust yourself to him. Maybe you've been raised in the church and you're aware, very aware, of many things the Bible says. You're, You're aware of the name of Jesus. You're aware that Jesus is important, that we come through him and yet somehow you've mixed together what you do and Jesus and you're still thinking the only way God will accept me is if I'm good enough. And that simply is not true and it's a weight you cannot bear that God doesn't mean for you to bear. He calls you to trust in what Jesus has done, never on what you do. You do not have to earn the favor of God. It is given freely to all who come with Jesus. Or you've been in and out of church experiences and you've heard different things and it's somewhat of a blur And when you do think of God which you recognize is not enough, but somehow you're you're just going to make it work, and no you won't, That that would have made the sacrifice of Jesus irrelevant. If Christ holds your future, so a believer, if, if the, on that you're clear, you know it's by faith through Christ, it's by grace alone. That is what you believe, that is your confession, that is how you're seeking to live. Uh, the passage is, is both before us, it's reminding and warning those who would think they could come by works and just as much it's reminding those who understand clearly don't mix the two whenever you find your life starting to lean toward mount sinai your thinking is god is disappointed in me god is disgusted with me or I need this from God so I've got to just be extra good to to make him answer my prayers or or somehow, God doesn't want me for a while and eventually he'll receive me back. We're, We're mixing with grace all these ideas of works. We are told you have not come by Mount Sinai. You have come through Christ. Let us live by our confession, by the truth of Scripture that we, we seek to uphold. And so, with the rest of our time, let me just bring up a few ways that I think we, we need to do that. We need to think about how we clearly keep Christ, that it's by grace alone before us. By this contrast we have of what we have not come by. We have not come by a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest. First, we have have not come to gloom. The grace of God in Christ leaves no guilt uncovered, no stain unwashed. No one less than Jesus, the Son of God, is your mediator. And so if if you're weighed down by the reality that you still fail and you still have sin, we're not called to this gloomy aspect of how weak I am and I can't. I can't live out all I'm supposed to be and I continue to see failure and you just stay under accusation and by it, you you feel distant from God and when you do start to pray, you feel unwelcome, you feel unworthy And, and those things may be true. You are weak, you are a sinner, you are unworthy but we do not come by our works or worthiness. We come by Christ. So we are always welcome. And as Romans tells us in chapter 8, there is no, and it's a double negative, the emphatic, there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later on in the chapter, it says, and so who accuses you? It is it is the Lord himself who is the judge who has forgiven you. We do not come to God in gloom. We're aware of un- our unworthiness, but when, when sin accuses us, we remember the blood that, that speaks a better word. Now what has meant the, the blood of Abel The blood of Jesus, speaking a better word. Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, murdered in jealousy by his brother Cain. And the Lord said to Cain that the blood of your brother cries out for justice. It is the blood of accusation. You have sinned. You are accountable. The blood of Jesus Does not speak accusation. The blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness, covering, freedom, cleansing, made whole, pleasing to God. The blood Jesus Shed speaks not just a better word. It speaks the greatest word. If you come covered by what my blood has done, you are forever and always free to come to your Father. For you are, even in your weaknesses, you are greatly loved. And so each day is meant for celebration in Christ. It says we've come to angels and and festal gathering. It means we come in celebration of the grace and wonder of God. And so each day should be celebration. Each day coming before God and being amazed again today that such grace is mine. And rather than hearing the accusation that drives us away we think of the grace that brings us near we have not come to gloom secondly we have we have not come in darkness the people of mount sinai who would one moment declare we'll do it all that you've said how quickly they showed what was truly in their heart And in all human hearts. Moses hadn't even come down from the mountain. And they had formed an idol of a calf. And they were worshiping it. And drinking. And the text would seem to indicate sexual immorality going with it. In their celebration of their delivery from God. They quickly revealed the darkness in the human heart that even with all they experienced in terror of God, and then as soon as that kind of was removed, their hearts just went to foolishness so quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Christ has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and so believer step out of shadowy living compromises of i want to follow god but you know this has some appeal and god god's got to understand what i'm going through and these people cheat and they're going to be at an advantage if i don't cheat and compromise all that is just nonsense what does god say about how we are to live and we live wholeheartedly not to earn his favor, but for those forever saved and set free, how else would we live? Verse 21 says, you are one of the righteous being made perfect and Satan would want you to think it's inevitable, you're gonna sin again. You know what's inevitable? That you will be made perfectly righteous. Because that is what God has promised to do. So if there's an inevitability we're gonna embrace, let it be the completed work that Christ will do in everyone who trusts in him. Do you want life that's good? Of course you do. Do you wanna be content? Of course, do you want to be whole? Embrace the marvelous righteousness of Christ. You have enough faith to know you will be rejoicing and content forever in heaven. How is that different from earth? No sin. No compromise. Third, we have not come to a tempest. The world around us is seething with animosity. Divisiveness, fear? Do you find yourself being swept, caught up in it? That all the screaming and yelling at each other, the fearfulness, do you get caught up in that? Do you need to turn off the news, the internet sites? the online debates. We have not come to Tempest. We have not come to the, the working of the world and it's trying desperately to make it work and they can't. And so in, in their fear they become angry. You have come, verse 22, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Yours is a kingdom of rest. Yours is a citizenship among the people of God. And, of course, the conditions in this world deeply disturb us. But the kingdom we're headed for, it's held, it's kept, it's tranquil. It hasn't been invaded. It hasn't been disturbed. That's why no sin will enter heaven so that it always is the place of rest. Don't join the arguments around us. Don't get swept up in the turmoil In the fighting, in the bickering, in the the anger and the slander. For we have something much better to speak of. We have the person of Christ and his gospel. And that will keep you plenty occupied. Why would we lessen what we have to say and get caught up in things that may have some truth and have some way when we have Christ to share? Christ, his gospel to share. Life everlasting, forgiveness, wholeness. That is where our dialogue needs to be. Be swept up into the conversation of Christ and his gospel. And let's not get caught up. And we know it's coming. That election year may look a lot like the last one. It's going to sound like the last one, regardless of who's running. And this we can be sure. Neither candidate will be a savior. Josh Blunt, a Sovereign Grace pastor who... Studies deeply in areas of culture and writes on it. In a, one of his messages, I guess a couple years ago, he made a wonderful point that it's been helpful for me. He said, As Christians, we're, we're often in all the culture wars, political debates, we're, we're trying to figure so, where are we on the scale? You know, in this area we're more conservative than liberal are, but in this area we're we're more over here. We're trying to figure out where we in the scale. And he says, You're not on it. You're not on the scale, we're outside of it. We're speaking to people and wherever they are, leaning one side, we are with Christ who is outside of and beyond and speaks into. So let us not think of where we stand, conservative or liberal, we are in Christ, for Christ speaking of Him, we speak the better word of the blood of Jesus. And finally, we have not come to what would be consumed in blazing fire. We'll see more next week of that principle of nothing that is outside of the righteousness of Christ will pass into eternity it will all be consumed all that we cling to and think so important will be gone the better house the better locations the better meals the better cars whatever it is the younger look all of it what's what's in this world all enters us through a fire and everything temporary it's removed and there is a new heaven and earth and so we, we don't have to covet, we don't have to hoard, we don't have to grasp after happiness or security. We already have Christ. And verse 23 says Christ has made us the firstborn. The firstborn was the position of primary inheritance. When he says, you are the firstborn, it means you are the inheritors of of what God has. And believer, how much does God have? Not only how much does God have to give, how long will we have to enjoy it? Don't we know the answers to those? God has all, we will have forever. Why would we be bothered by what we don't have? There will be a new heaven and earth. The perfection of physical creation as well. as soul will be given by God who will have his way, his plan, his purpose, his creation. So we, we're free to be the most content, joyful and generous people in this world because we cannot lose. Everything is held by Christ for us. Believer, is it not clear? Do you not know? It is Jesus who holds our life. All of it, every hope, everything we look toward, it's all of it. It's held faithfully, safely by Jesus, your Savior. Live, live in the place that you belong. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us with what we know to be clear in it, to know truly and fully and to live faithfully and not to be drawn aside from the simple clearness of Christ. Help us to embrace him. Help us to see today what that means for us, where we are not, how we are not embracing Christ and righteousness. May speak to us It is what we can be. It is what you enable us to be. It is what the Spirit was given for us to be. Encourage and help your people and those outside of this truth. Lord, give them faith for it. In Jesus' name, amen.